I know when you ask me about these injuries, and, and, and I give you my thoughts, if you really want to figure it out, I think Danny O'Neill has the best uh, translations for me. Thank you very much, Pete. Appreciate the compliment. It is Danny O'Neill. This is our podcast, The Dang Apostrophe, because like that certain comma-like entity in my last name, I absolutely, utterly refuse to go away. Hanging around, hanging around. Kids got alligator blood. Can't get rid of him. I'm not going anywhere. Not as long as you keep listening, so hit the subscribe button for this podcast wherever you're listening to it. Provide a rating, a review, and don't be stingy with the stars. Seriously, they don't cost you anything. My self-esteem is fragile, so unless you want me to start plumbing the depths of my soul in public again, say something nice, because I wither under the scrutiny of unkind words. Then more Sean Lane. Shut up, Danny. You're not the first person to tell me to shut up, and it hasn't happened yet, and it's not going to happen today. I've got Greg Bishop from Sports Illustrated. He's making a return to the show. Now, full disclosure, Greg is a former colleague. He's a friend. He's also one of the 23 founding faithful for my newsletter, which is coincidentally titled The Dang Apostrophe. He's got his T-shirt and everything. We're going to talk about the relative surprise of Russell Wilson's departure, debate who will win this breakup, and talk about the possibility of a certain pervert of a quarterback who may be available for trade. But first, to catch up in free agency. The negotiation period is underway. It started on Monday, and this is hilarious because it's the time that you can talk to prospective free agents. Nobody can sign anything, but everybody starts coming up with deals, and they instituted this because it looked very suspicious. It looked very suspicious years ago when free agency would start, and within the first hour of free agency, you had these multi-year, multi-million dollar deals being agreed to. They're like, wait, wait, they weren't supposed to be talking before this. How did this happen in 20 minutes? So now they're like, okay, you can talk for two days. Legal tampering is what it's also been referred to as. And now, once the legal tampering period starts, you have people that have agreed to terms within an hour of, of, of the, the start of the negotiation period. Seattle hasn't added anybody. They've avoided two subtractions, though. They re-signed, agreed to terms with Quandre Diggs, uh, free safety, who was a huge part of their team last year, and I would say one of their two best defensive players. I, I thought I thought Quandre Diggs and Jordan Brooks were their two best defensive players last year. So they've agreed to terms with him. They've also re-signed Will Disley. And that that caught me as a little bit of a surprise because Disley was really promising his first two years, but he got hurt in each of those two years and hasn't been as productive the past two years. I think he's a good player, but the the terms, which are like a two-year, $13 million it's it's officially three years and I think twenty one, but looking at the at the fine print, it's closer to two years, twelve or thirteen million dollars, which is still a healthy, which is still a healthy salary. Makes it makes me think that Noah Fant is someone they might exercise a fifth round or a fifth year option on because it's at, at about that rate. But the thing that jumped out to me is that maybe the Seahawks think that tight ends haven't been featured because of their quarterback. I made a big complaint about the annual getting hyped up over a tight end edition, which has been pretty much an every other year occurrence for the Seahawks under Pete Carroll, whether it was Zach Miller, was it Kellen Winslow? That was two years in a row that they had those guys. Jimmy Graham, most recently with Gerald Everett. 
Greg Olson, like all these guys. And you're like, oh, this is going to be, they're going to have two tight end sets. They're going to do so well. And it's, it's always underwhelmed. Like even, even Jimmy Graham, whom his production gets overlooked. Like he's the most prolific pass catching tight end in, in franchise history. But most people are like, yeah, it wasn't a, a worthwhile trade. And, and that's possible because he, he undercut their identity and their ability to be physical. But in, in general, I've, I'm over the tight end hype. But maybe that had to do with the quarterback. Maybe the fact that there was perpetual, I don't want to say underachievement, but the tight ends never fulfilled the promise or generally did not fulfill the promise that accompanied some of the signature acquisitions there. And I, I think the value they're putting in, in Disley there shows that they don't think he was utilized fully over these past two years. So that that's something that, that opened my eye. The second thing is, those are not moves that are consistent with this idea of a rebuild. If, if I thought they were rewinding to 2010, which is kind of what I thought when they traded Wilson, I was like, okay, you let all the veterans go. You don't pay Quandre Diggs. He's a good player. But if you're kind of in your heart of hearts saying we're going to take 2022 to get younger, that's not a player you resign. And Disley is probably someone you say like, okay, we're going we're gonna to bring in a younger guy here and we're not going to pay a tight end, our second tight end maybe, $6 million a year. These are things that point toward Seattle believing that it has a nucleus and it's just swapping out the quarterback. That's, it's instructive in that way to see how this team is. Tyler Lockett hasn't moved and that's, They've talked, and I've seen reports that he's available for trade. That's something that'll become clear closer to the draft. And most of the veterans that are under contract that make it too free, they, once once you get past March 16th, I don't think you're going to see a ton of veterans get let go until we, we reach the draft. And then you're going to see some veterans get traded for picks. Tyler's not going to get released. I don't think... I don't think anything's going to happen until the draft, and then that'll be the question of, but if if you're resigning Will Disley and you're resigning Quandre Diggs, to me that points to you're, you're not looking to move on from Tyler Lockett. He's a devastatingly efficient player. He's gotten banged up a little bit, and certainly you wonder how what his, what his connection is going to be like with the new quarterback is, because he and Russ were unbelievably efficient, especially thrown deep. Like the... The percentage that the high percentage of targets that Lockett turned into receptions, given how how prolific of a deep threat he was, was incredible. I don't know if you're going to get that with a new with a new quarterback. You certainly can't expect to, but if you're re-signing Quandre Diggs and you're re-signing Will Disley, I don't think you're looking to move on. From, from Tyler Lockett. So those two moves, we'll see what comes next, but those two moves spoke to a team that does not see itself as as rebuilding. As for not adding guys, that's Seattle just doesn't do that. They'll, they'll come in the second and third wave, and they'll probably sign five guys for uh, average to below average annual salaries and say we're going to compete and broaden the depth, and we'll see if any of that turns out. But it was it, it caught my attention that Seattle was playing pretty aggressive defense on its own free agents. The big question looming is what's going to happen at quarterback. From what I've heard, the Seahawks do have some hopes for Drew Locke. 
I lump him in that same category of Tavares Jackson, Charlie Whitehurst, which is guys who had a fairly decent draft pedigree. Locke was a second-round pick. Jackson was a second-round pick. Charlie Whitehurst was a third-round pick, whose careers hadn't quite blossomed like their their former team hoped. And, hey, we'll give him a shot. I, I think... I think that's the approach they're taking with Drew Locke. Would not surprise me if he ends up being their starter week one. I'm not convinced that they're going to go out and add another bigger name quarterback. I think they might add other guys to compete with that and maybe draft somebody. But we'll see. It's certainly the, the, the thing that continues to stand out about the Russell Wilson trade is they dealt him without a clear path to their successor quarterback. And I think the more time that goes by, the the clearer that is, that that wasn't a move that was made in anticipation of another specific move, that they're, they're going to be looking, but they don't, they don't have that plan all lined up yet. Quarterbacks are the new divas. That's what Greg Bishop of Sports Illustrated said right before we started. And I'm, it's usually the wide receivers, right? The wide receivers are the ones that are supposed to be a little, uh, the, the fancy pants ones in the locker room. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, you can ask any editor that I've had or my own wife or many of my friends. Like, I, I know something about the diva life, you know. I have needs. I have wants. I, I, I want to get attention when it comes down to it. But this is just over the top, man. I like a lot of the quarterbacks that are involved here. I think it has been obviously pretty interesting to watch the machinations of the last couple weeks. But, I mean, good God, you can't you can't take like an afternoon nap without a quarterback needing some sort of attention and I think you've seen that you know whether it extends to Aaron Rodgers' contract extensions some of the trades that are in the works uh, Deshaun Watson Tom pronouncing Brady. yeah pronouncing himself Tom innocent. and yeah and uh, Tom Brady and I just think maybe we need to start a support group for those guys you know quarterbacks who want you to love them and will do anything it takes to uh, to, to make sure they command the spotlight Let's start with Seattle, because that's the one that I'm most familiar with. You have a great deal of familiarity with the characters that are involved, whether it's Russell Wilson, John Schneider, Pete Carroll, Mark Rogers. Were you surprised that a deal happened? Uh, I wasn't surprised, but I would say the thing that surprised me the most is, you know, sort of the way it swung back and forth. You know, I think um, early into last season, I said on the radio locally that I thought this would be Russell and Pete's last year together. And I truly believed that up until a couple months ago, when it definitely seemed, at least from the people I was talking to, that, you know, Russell Wilson was going to come back for another season, that maybe they'd get something short-term worked out, you know, like Rodgers did with the Packers. The idea being that Pete, John, and Russell would be together for another run. And I, I started to believe, really, that that was what was going to happen, but ultimately... You know, obviously it didn't, and it, it didn't surprise me in an overall sense, except for, you know, if there was intentional misdirection involved in the idea that he might play this season in Seattle, whoever did it did a very good job, because I started to believe that it wasn't going to go down. I, I would agree with you on that. I, I do think that the, the radio silence or the fact that nobody talked about this was deliberate. I think it was after last offseason and everything that happened, it was, okay, if we're really going to do this, Everybody's got to be dead quiet about this for a couple months because it's the only way it will happen. And to everybody that was involved in the discussions, and my understanding, I saw Peter King had something that it was 14 teams that he initially looked at. There, there wasn't much uncertainty about which team he was going to go. Russ, Russ narrowed in. My understanding is Russ narrowed in on Denver as the, as the spot that he wanted to go to. 
Yeah, and I think there are a couple things in play there. One thing that I think is being lost in this whole discussion is Russell Wilson, and I, I don't mean this in a negative sense, but he is very calculated. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that he does that hasn't doesn't have thought or intention put behind it. You know, this is a guy I profiled in 2014 who brought a Microsoft phone to Microsoft events. Like that level of detail has gone into every single thing he's done in his career to the point where I think it has been harmful in some ways in the locker room. And so this idea that this kind of fell out of nowhere or that they came to him and said, hey, the Broncos are interested. I mean, I I just don't think there's a lot of truth to that. I think this was mutually agreed upon, mutually worked out. And to me, it speaks to a couple things in the NFL. You know, one thing I think was huge was Aaron Rodgers' extension that that made the price, I think, too high for Seattle. You know, to bring Russell back, fix the holes that are existing and pay him over $50 million a season you know, to me, it just didn't make sense. This was a team I think that's best case scenario was to maybe win a playoff game, maybe get into the playoffs, more likely than not finish in the seven to 10, you know, sort of victory range in a very tough division. And I think when you look at it from Denver's perspective, to me, it speaks to what we talked about last time I came on here, which is, you know, we've seen two teams in the last two years add a elite quarterback to existing rosters that are already well built out and win the Super Bowl. And yes, one of those quarterbacks was Tom Brady, and yes, the other one was Matthew Stafford. But I do think Russell Wilson still has a lot of great football left to play. And I do think Denver looked at this like, this is our best shot. We have a bunch of young, good skill position players. We're not terrible up front. And, you know, if we had this guy, we have a legitimate chance to win it. And so this was the rare thing where it made sense to me for both teams. I think it was time for Seattle to move on. I think it was time for Denver to take a shot. And I think ultimately I was the thing that's you talk about surprising. The thing that surprised me most is how up in arms people in Seattle were about it. The 12s definitely seemed like they thought it was a bad move. To me, it made a lot of sense for everybody involved. That's that reaction, though. That's going to happen anytime a star gets traded, right? It happened when Gary Payton got traded. And in retrospect, that was a great trade for Seattle. I mean, that Seattle got Ray Allen out of that deal. Seattle got Ray Allen for less than half a season of Gary Payton. It was a great trade. But you're right. They were they were up in arms. And some of that's just because you look at it. You're volunteering to go into the, the nether regions of the NFL where you, you had a quarterback and you, you gave him up. You, you, now, you now took the plunge that so many teams are trying to get out of so desperately where you don't have a quarterback. Do you think there's a plan right now to get a different quarterback in place? Uh, That wouldn't surprise me, but I also look at it from a more like holistic sense. You know, if my options were, if I were John Schneider and these are the options, you know, you can either bring Russell Wilson back, knowing your roster is deficient, and essentially say, we're going to take a shot with him, knowing you probably end up at eight or nine wins. Or my other option would be, you know, to start blowing it up now. I mean, we, we kind of forget just what this was like when I was covering the Seahawks for the Seattle Times in 2004 and 2005. I mean, we've become so spoiled in Seattle to, like, expecting the team to be in the playoffs, expecting the division title to be a possibility. I mean, to me, this this speaks to a rebuild. Now, I know that's not what they're going to say publicly. I know they still have some really good players on their roster, but I, if I were them, I think it's time to usher in a new era and to do it forcefully and significantly. And so a couple things play into that. One is my understanding is John Schneider really liked Drew Locke coming out of college. Now, Drew Locke has NFL film. 
anyone can watch it. Uh, <laughs> probably not uh, necessarily going to love what you see. No, so dude, that... he is the king of the F it throw. <laughs> like he's, yeah. He's the king of the just F it, I'm going to throw it deep. <laughs> So that to to that point, I think that like the plan is probably not to start him, right? You know, but he, also he's like gonna it, com- he'll compete with whoever comes in here, right? Like they'll, yeah, they'll give him they, a shot to get the gig. And to me, there there's a bunch of guys that would make sense. You know, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, familiarity with the division. You look at a Jameis Winston, you know, uh, or you go get a guy like Malik Willis, who's got a lot of talent and needs some time, and maybe sits behind Drew Locke for a four and twelve season and. You start rebuilding with the picks and bounty you got from Denver. But I would say that there's a lot of machinations to go moving forward with that. And I think that somebody asked me the other day who I think their opening week starter will be. And I would bet on Drew Locke for now. But I also don't think they're done. And you got the draft coming up. You know John's going to turn those picks into 45 other picks. And, you know, to me this is a defense that over, over uh, you know, played beyond expectation last season still have some offensive line issues, plenty of free agents. Like, I think there's a lot of stuff that's going to go on that ultimately, um, you know, is going to be in the next couple weeks and months. One of the stupidest ideas that I have, and, and I say it's stupid because I want to, like, oh, make, make everyone aware that I know this is kind of dumb, but I, I truly feel that. Th- this, I'm kind of interested in Baker Mayfield. I like it. I don't, I don't know if he's going to become available. But I think that there's a shot because Cleveland's in a spot where they've they've kind of got to decide what they're going to do, and he has look he hasn't distinguished himself there. This was supposed to be these past two years were supposed to be great leaps forward, and it, he he had great wide receivers and he couldn't get the ball to him last year. I think he was playing hurt. It, I think you've got an opportunity to get him certainly not at a peak value. Like you could you could get him on a one year prove it deal. Like you'd probably have to pay some money, but that's not a big deal. I'm I'm interested in the idea of as long as you don't have to give up so much that you're saying, okay, we really think he's gonna work out. If you're like, yeah, we'll we'll give this a shot for a year. I'm I'm kinda interested in Baker Mayfield. Yeah, and see something like that makes sense to me. Like if the idea is maybe Drew Locke is better than they thought, you know, better than the Broncos thought, better than every pundit with eyes thought. <laughs> You know, at least give him a chance to come through on what you saw, you know, during the draft time that made you like him. But don't do that at the expense of, like, not ever winning a game again. And so, you know, a guy like Baker Mayfield who still has some stuff to prove, you know, who has shown flashes of really elite play and flashes of not-so-elite play, you know, makes a lot of sense. Anybody's sort of in that vein. I'd throw Jimmy Garoppolo right in there. I'd throw Jameis Winston right in there. You know, guys that you know can be a starting quarterback in the league. But who you you start you know warily <laughs> you know I can't, it's like I can't get over the, you know when Jameis ate the W like when he made his fingers into that W and he <laughs> ate the W like it's so weird but like that's a really weird thing to hold against a quarterback but I kind of do I kind of think he's a dork because of that. Well, it definitely wasn't his best moment, and he awful. definitely has. Yeah, like, I, yeah, I'm way more worried about that than I am the crab legs. Like the crab legs is just something stupid that he thought that nobody'd care if he ate some crab legs. But the the W thing was like he thought that was like uh, that was a motivational, and like everybody's sitting there like, "What are you doing?" I mean, who hasn't been a little tipsy and uh, gone to the crab legs at the buffet? <laughs> you know, just just started eating them. You know, I can't say I've never done that. Who do you think ends up regretting this deal five years from now? Is it going to be Seattle or is it going to be Russ? Because 
each is taking a risk here. Seattle is Seattle is giving up a franchise quarterback, and you don't see teams do that. Certainly not with someone at Russ's age, and I think they're doing it because he wants to go. On the flip side, Russ, there's you're you're betting on him maturing like other quarterbacks do, where he plays toward forty, and he he has taken a lot of hits. He's a different kind of quarterback. He he might not age like Drew Brees. And, and and that's saying Drew Brees as a great example of somebody, even though we know his arm kind of fell off. Who do you think five years from now ends up regretting this more? That, that's really cool in terms of the symmetry because to me, it's like both teams made a move that I can get behind. Mm-hmm. I understand why both did it. And yet I think ultimately neither will be happy yeah. you know, with it. And to me, that's because I don't see the Broncos as being better than, say, the Bengals, the Chiefs, or the Bills. You know, three pretty formidable teams that I think will be in the mix again next year. So I don't see this necessarily netting the Super Bowl or the three that Russell has stated he wants to win. You know, I think that the Seahawks are about to embark on a massive renovation. That's never fun. It typically doesn't end well. You look at Pete's age. You look at this, the structure of how they do personnel evaluation. Like, to me, this era started coming to an end in Arizona when Russell threw the pick in the Super Bowl. And I think you're not going to see it fully end for another year or two, so there's going to be some bumps and growing pains. I think ultimately if I had to choose like who feels better about it, I'd probably lean toward the Seahawks, just in the fact that I think they're ultimately going to get started on a process they would have had to do anyway. And I think they have the right people like you know, John Schneider's found a lot of gems in the draft. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's been pretty spotty, the track record lately, but I think he deserves the benefit of the doubt. And I wouldn't be surprised if they turn it over in a way where the next group ha- kind of has a team that's coming into its own. But I don't see, like, the, the, the sort of transformation from Legion of Boom, totally dominant, to completely new. Like, we've now embarked on the, like, we're, you know, tearing down the walls and getting ready to rebuild the kitchen. And to me, I think that they had to do it, which is why it makes sense. But I don't see the next few years working out great for either party. Okay. Bish, I'm going to give you a choice. You're going to get to choose your next question. You're going to get the subject matter. Subject one, pervert. Subject two is unfair question. Which one do you want? Unfair question. Unfair question. Did the Seattle Seahawks, this team that had nine winning seasons in the past 10 years, made the playoffs eight of those years and reached the Super Bowl twice, did they underachieve given all the talent that they had in 2012? That's Yeah, well, I think that depends on how you feel about Russell Wilson. You know, to me, he is a great quarterback. He obviously set a ton of records. Um, I'm not sure I would put him above, like, the people I put in the, like, need a good team to win around you. Uh, to win a Super Bowl tier. So uh-huh. he'd be with my Dak Prescotts, my Kyler Murrays, you know, the Matthew Stafford, I think, would fit in there. Where, like, there's not a question that any of those guys are amazing quarterbacks, but are they going to lift a team to a Super Bowl? I'm not so sure. I think what we saw with Stafford was a guy who, you know, needed Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller and Odell Beckham and Cooper Cup. And when you're on the right team and you have the right season, you can win. So where I'm going with this is once they started breaking up the Legion of Boom, you're essentially asking Russell Wilson to jump into the very top tier. I personally would argue that he didn't do that. And that's not a, a, that's not a criticism of his play. It's just there's only so few of those guys walking around on planet Earth. 
And so I don't think they underachieved for that reason. I think that they didn't have a roster that was built to win, including at that position. And yet, you know, I do think they were pretty close to winning too. Mm-hmm. We talk about the dynasty that never was. Obviously can get down the Titanic road. And I just think, I think that they were a really good team with a really good quarterback. And that's about what they were supposed to be, in my opinion. That's pretty well said. That's a better answer than I would have provided because I would have hemmed and hawed for a long time about how, well, how many teams actually win multiple Super Bowls and Mahomes has only barely been better over these four years than Seattle was over this four. But I I think that's, I think it's right. Russell, Russell didn't become Peyton Manning, right? Like Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning gave his, his team, it didn't matter how crappy their defense was. He could, he could bring them to the Super Bowl. And Russ, Russ never quite got to that level. Like Russ never quite got to that. And Mahomes is interesting in light of what you just said, because he for sure would have been a lock top tier a couple of years ago. But after last year, you know, maybe he falls with the second group, needs the right team around him. I'm not quite sure. Like my instinct is to tell myself to shut up that that's not true. But at the same time, there has been some, you know, sketchy play over a decent amount of time mixed with some real spectacular moments. And so, you know, this is the kind of... Um, Answer that will come back to to hurt me later, maybe, if Denver goes and wins the Super Bowl. You think people are sitting here listening to what you're saying on my podcast and are going to, like, chronicle it down and show it up against you in the future? Yeah, maybe, you know. (laughs) Like, I just don't see them beating those other teams, you know. I just, I, I think that it's unlikely. And you look at, like, the Chargers coming up, their division looks just as tough as the one they just left. It'll be pretty interesting. I think there is a chapter of Russell Wilson's career that is yet to be written. But I think that while we're discussing it, you know, the past should inform the future. And to me, he's been a very, very good quarterback, but not like a truly top tier one. And I think that it'll be interesting to see if he can change that narrative. It's funny you brought up Stafford because I've had a hard time making sense of Stafford's year because it wasn't a great year. Like it wasn't it wasn't he didn't come here and validate all of the different criticisms of him and show why he has the as elite arm talent as anybody that's ever played the game like he made some goofy throws he made some but the other thing is is that when they needed throws like he made them that that the pass that he makes to Cooper Cup to beat the the Bucks after through no fault of his they almost gave that game away like he he made some big time plays and in some ways you can kind of say that Russ was in a similar position early in his career with Seattle where he didn't need to be the volume passer. He didn't need to do everything. But there were games where they needed him to make big throws, and he was able to come through in those moments. And in that way, we always say you need the quarterback to win it. And you do, but he doesn't need to be the best quarterback in the world. He just needs to be above a certain tier. Yeah, to me, that's the second tier, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. What you need is a quarterback to make the kind of throw you're talking about and I'll give you one more like I I did a whole section in the Super Bowl cover on that pass against the Bucks Mm because it was like Stafford told me that two times out of a hundred would he recognize that coverage and decide to throw the ball to Cooper it's it's not something they want to do on that play Cooper's essentially designed you know as a you know take bodies away from the rest of the field and you know he throws the ball on a on a prayer gets crunched by Sue and like it's just like exactly why you bring him in the other one I would cite is the no look in the Super Bowl. You, you know, they can't get anything going. Total worst case scenario. Beckham's hurt. Woods is already out. Higby's already out. They need some sort of spark. And Matthew Stafford, like, slung that no look dart on the slant route. I mean, to me, that play should have gotten a ton more attention in the Super Bowl. It's exactly why you bring him in. 
It's exactly why you tolerate 17 interceptions. When the dude needed to make a play, he made a play. And to be fair to Russell, he's done that at times in yes, his career. You has. know, even when you look at the game he lost with the interception, like that throw to Curse up to the sideline yep. would have been the third like heartbreaking Brady loss throw in Super Bowl history. And it's not like he's devoid of talent or can't win games for you, but you know, you get a lot of both. And I think back to that that game against the Packers in the NFC championship game where like he just played amazing for like the last five minutes. But the reason that, that he needed to play amazing is he threw four picks beforehand. And, you know, those kind of guys who are truly elite but not quite at the like make everyone around you, you know, perfect kind of level, they need the right team. And so everyone that was crushing the Legion of Boom when they left, to me they almost owe those guys an apology. Like they were great players who gave the Seahawks a chance to be dynastic and we wanted to parse whether it was them or Russ. And, like, to me, it's pretty clear over time. I mean, that that defense was the powering of that era. And maybe some people agree with that. I don't get the sense from my friends who are 12s that they agree with that. And that's not that's not a disrespect to Russell Wilson. It's just quarterback. all quarterbacks are system quarterbacks. The question is, what do you do to the system? That's my personal belief. We, we talk about it derogatorily, like this – this guy's a system quarterback. Tom Brady's a system quarterback. He just makes the system so much better, removes a lot of the error, and then you're in the kind of games that you need to win. And so maybe Russell Wilson was truly held back in his time in Seattle. Maybe he needed a better offensive coordinator than the ones he had. I guess we're, we're going to find out whether that's true, you know, in the seasons that are ahead. My opinion, it doesn't matter who his offensive coordinator is because when you have Russell Wilson as your quarterback, you're going to run the Russell Wilson offense. He's going he's gonna to hold on to the ball forever. He's not going to throw short over the middle timing routes. He is going to make some incredible things happen and has a beautiful deep ball, and he's going to take some 18-yard sacks that are going to make you want to kick a garbage can. And Nathaniel Hackett is going to be better off because he has a better quarterback than he did. But <laughs> you're running the Russell Wilson offense, buddy. Yeah, exactly. And to me, that's one of the interesting things when you look at Denver from a stylistic standpoint. You know, on one hand ton of speed on that offense you know they have real burners good possession guy in tim patrick you know there's a lot of weapons there that would seem to be suited to his style of play the thing i'm wondering about is you know last year was his first real significant injury Uh, this was the first time we've seen sort of the indestructible russell wilson have to deal with something that a lot of players end up dealing with and i also think when i hear the reaction to the 12s you know this is a guy you know, who um, I think, you know, they're still kind of hanging on to how he played four or five years ago. He's it's, it's not the same. Now, that's not to say he can't grow, evolve, and change, but he's interesting to me in light of what you just said. Like, can he still be at that tier if ultimately he can't run as much or needs to be kept more careful, you know? And I think it'll be interesting to see because in a lot of ways, it looks like a good fit of strengths. And in other ways, I think as he ages and evolves, their offense will have to, too, and I just wonder how Hackett's going to do that. All right, now it's time for the pervert question you got. <laughs> I was going to say, like, how do you say yes, you'll take the pervert question? <laughs> There's just no good way that that comes out, you know? You think Deshaun Watson ends up in Seattle? I mean, it seems like they're one of the teams that's interested, and to me, it, it's sort of a tough situation. Like, I get why teams would want him. Obviously, young, talented, year with no hits. But, you know, I did some reporting with Jenny Vrentis mm-hmm. when she was still with SI and that story. 
the fact that he wasn't charged criminally means very little to me personally. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, it's good for him in the sense of like he's just not facing jail time. But I, re- I thought it was really gross. You know, some of the reaction to it, like uh, redemption or prove yeah. prove true. I mean, Jenny and I talked to over twenty people that said that these things happened to them and. To me, it's just gross. At minimum, you know what you're doing if you make that trade. You know, you know that you are taking a player who has done stuff that's not okay. At least according to more than 20 people who said the same things happened to them. Yeah. So if this is really some sort of smear campaign, it's like the greatest one in the history of sports. You know, like how, how they would all line up, how they would all have the same stories, how they would all be independently verifiable. I mean, Watson is fair game to trade for now. The team that signs him is showing you, the the listener, what the NFL really cares about, and that's winning football games, period. Growing revenue, period. So if the Seahawks want to go out and sign him after the long-ago quote that they weren't going to, you know, have players with DV histories, like, they know what they're doing. And so if your goal is to slot in a guy who can make you better right away, that's what you're doing. But don't give me the whole storyline about redemption or the courts didn't charge him or all this stuff. I mean, if you do that, you're being disingenuous. And it's honestly one of the things that bugs me the most about the NFL. This is a league that is a big business over everything else. You can skip me with the altruism, the flyovers, the pageantry. The NFL only cares about making money and teams only want to win. And we're reminded of that every single day and will be again whenever a team tries to fashion this into we did the right thing when we know that they didn't. Yeah. Watson, what, what you said in your experience covering it, and it's just very clear that he sought out it's, – it's extremely strange that a professional athlete would have as many massage therapists as he did. Like that's not – like pro athletes are incredibly finicky and choosy about who works on their body. And then you hear the stories that you guys had, the accounts from these therapists, it was predatory. Like he was turning what should have been a professional encounter into something sexual without their consent. And it it's very clear. So for whatever, that didn't result in a criminal charge. That's a reflection on whether or not the grand jury thought he should be indicted there was enough evidence and that's a reflection to me of the the criminal statutes more than it is what had happened and it it, it, i couldn't i'd wince i'd have a really hard time ever feeling the same about the seahawks if they end up trading for him yeah it's like uh i saw a lot of like his tweets yesterday about how he felt about he's certainly entitled to his own opinion and he's certainly you know gone through a lot although we can argue about whether it was, you know, his fault or not, yeah. um, you know, me and him. But at best, it's, like, super creepy. You know, this is a guy who, th- who like, is a famous star athlete whose preferred method of meeting women is by hiring them as a massage therapist. That's, like, the best-case scenario if you believe there was no nefarious intent and people piling on and all these things that seem totally implausible. At worst case, it's predatory crimes and... Either way, like, you know, the Seattle franchise is not shy about holding itself up as a model, about the character, about all these things you hear over and over. And some team is going to trade for him, and some team's going to tell you why it's okay. And that team deserves every ounce of criticism that's thrown its way because you can't justify this. You can't both sides it. What happened, happened. 
there will be penalties. I'm almost certain the NFL will have some sort of suspension. And the team that, that ultimately trades for him should just be honest. It would be so incredibly refreshing. We, we need this guy to win. We know how it looks. We don't care at all. And if that is the, if a team ever laid that out, they'd become my new favorite team because they're going to tell you something else instead. Yeah. Okay, you handled the pervert question very well. The last question I have for you is Aaron Donald. You have a cover story on him. I've always been fascinated by Donald for a number of reasons. First of all, he's the most singularly imposing <laughs> defensive lineman in the league. The, the second thing, though, is is he is he kind of of is he kind of a punk the way he picks fights with guys? Because he he gets into a lot of scrapes and he raked his hand across the face of that Arizona lineman. Does is he a cheap player? It's an interesting question. I think it actually ties to what I wrote about him. So the first thing I would say before I answer it is he had an all-time quote in the cover story. People should check it out. He said, I get, I get a little tipsy and take my shirt off. That's what I do. And so I thought of you so, immediately, yeah. Danny O, you know. Uh, I, don't I thought, know. okay. Yeah, I've yeah. never taken my shirt off when, I, when, I've, when I've gotten tipsy. That is not my M.O. But the tenor of the story was about this internal conflict that he's never, to my knowledge, talked about before. And it's the only way in the history of the world that I have something that I can relate to Aaron Donald about. Okay, talent level, all that kind of stuff. And it's essentially that two of his children live in Pittsburgh and that he has a really hard time being away from them. You know, they're in school now. Uh, they can't visit as often. You know, there's a lot of anxiety and conflict over that to the point where he leaves practice he doesn't practice on Fridays most of the season to like fly to Pittsburgh and see his kids and one tie that I thought was interesting in there because his worst his worst year in terms of fines was 2018 I think he had like 81,000 that's when he like slammed the helmet on the turf there was an incident I believe against the Seahawks yeah I mean, it, was it was Justin Britt although Britt started that because Britt dumped him like way over by the cheerleaders yeah, and so, like, essentially what he told me that I thought was interesting and could be seen, I guess, as an excuse, but, you know, basically his mental state went to went, went straight downward during that season. His daughter started first grade. He realized how hard the sort of calculus would, was going to be, and, you know, then they lost in the Super Bowl to the Patriots, and he just had a really tough time with it. Now, that's not to excuse potentially dirty behavior, you know? My, my take on him as a player, I guess, would be that he's so physically dominant and plays with a bit of a nasty edge that sometimes he does things maybe that he's not trying to do, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like yeah. he can throw, throw people around like ragdolls. I think it's definitely worth considering when we look at the calculus of his play, but I would lean more toward here's a guy who's triple teamed on half the snaps, who's fighting off three massive bodies of humanity and I just think that doing that must take something out of you, you know, that, that there are going to be instances where you try to do whatever you can to get through what other people couldn't get through. And I would not describe him particularly as dirty, but you forced me to consider it. So maybe next time we talk, <laughs> I'll have a different answer. Yeah. Uh, Greg, it's I, I always enjoy talking to you and I appreciate you, you taking the time here on the dang apostrophe. Did you get your T-shirt? I did actually, and it yeah. fits well, which Does is it? always always a surprising uh, twist to it. So, dang apostrophe for life. That's where I am, you know. It sounds good. I'll send you some stickers as well. Nice. Blake will wear them to school, my son. You know, <laughs> sweet. All right. Thanks a lot, Bish. Appreciate you having me, man. Will the Seahawks have a different quarterback the next time we talk? 
not sure about that. I'm headed to the NCAA tournament a little bit later this week, uh, going to San Diego for the first two rounds there. Games are on Friday and on Sunday. Something that's important for me personally and really looking forward to that. Uh, so looking forward to talking to you guys next week. This is the Dang Apostrophe, and I'm Danny O'Neill. Then more Sean Lane. Shut up, Danny. All right. I'm done now. I know when you ask me about these injuries and, and, and I give you my thoughts, if you really want to figure it out, I think Danny O'Neill has the best uh, translations for me. Here.